what I'd like to do is I'd like to just close with, a, with a, what I feel is a very appropriate devotional thought. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I'd like to share something with you. I can remember when I became a born-again Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I mean, I, I was on fire, friends. I mean, I just, this message just set me free. And when I learned this message, I purposed in my heart to commit it to memory. And I studied for hours a day, masticating this message that we have. And I can remember the Sabbath of my baptism. I was, uh, you know, I could, I could sense God leading me in a powerful way. And I can remember it was an evening, it was a Sabbath evening baptism after church, you know, a few hours after church. And, and I was sitting on the front row with another woman who was going to be baptized with me and another gentleman. And I can remember her sitting there. And she was looking at me and talking to me and saying, you know, Mark, I'm not sure if I'm making the right decision. And I looked at her and I basically said, well, let's just get baptized and see what happens. And did you know that when I was baptized, I sensed the Holy Spirit come upon me in my heart with power. I know that sometimes when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sometimes that baptism happens before the water baptism, biblically. And sometimes that baptism happens after the actual water baptism. And then sometimes it could also happen simultaneously. The two can happen together. I think in my case it was at my baptism. And of course we need to daily receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we lay our hearts before God each and every day. But But friends, I was on fire for this message. I mean, I masticated and chewed up and and just ingested this message because I wanted to commit it to memory so that if I was ever in a situation and I didn't even have a Bible, I would be like a spiritual machine gun just pumping out texts and defending the truth, you know, that had set me free. And I was on fire, friends. I mean, I was motivated and high energy and high octane and and people would always tell me, Pastor, well, at the time I wasn't a pastor, but they say, Mark, you know, you're just so on fire. But then, you know, over time, you know, it's not the uppercut from the devil, it's the jab. Wearing you down. And over the course of time, you know, I could sense that momentum lessening subtly. Are you with me? That fire lessens. We lose that momentum. We begin to lose that first love. You know, the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 had that problem. And, and what's interesting, when you, when you start reading there in verse 1, and we're going to read that in just a second, but, but I can remember that, that I had sensed my experience get so subtle over time to the point where I, I was in the, mirror, in the bathroom in front of a mirror one morning looking at myself in the mirror, thinking, what happened to me? I mean, I was so on fire. I was so pumped up about this message. And I know we're not supposed to go on feelings, but, but even the spiritual energy had waned. And I can remember looking at, at, at myself in the mirror thinking, what happened to me? 
And you know, like the Holy Spirit does, and like I've described to you all week, God speaks through our thoughts. And the thought came to my mind. You have left and lost your first love. You have lost your first love. And Ephesus there in verse 1 was a church that went through that experience. And I believe that, that, that if we are in danger or maybe even have lost our first love, we can learn from the experience of Ephesus to get that first love back. Let's unpack this just for a minute. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. Now friends, that's a, that's a pretty lengthy passage, but let's just take a moment to look at it. Notice that Jesus in verse 1 talks to the church at Ephesus. And for those of us who understand Revelation, you know that Revelation chapters 2 and 3 address the messages to the seven churches. And I believe that there are three, three mer- uh, parallel applications to what these churches represent. First of all, they were literal churches in John's day that had real spiritual problems. Secondly, they also line up and measure up with certain epochs and periods of church history, beginning with Ephesus and ending with Laodicea from the time of Christ down to the end of time. Those seven churches line up with different phases of Christian church history. But thirdly, I believe that the spiritual problems that the seven churches faced, Christians in all ages can and have faced. And it's interesting to note that that Jesus begins by, by offering a description and he describes himself as he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks in verse 1. Now, God's right hand is a symbol of of upholding power, sustaining strength, and and the stars can symbolize both angels and and, and people and and, and messengers. And and I believe that here, Jesus is saying, look, I'm still upholding you with my right hand. I've still got you in my right hand. I'm still in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I'm still walking in the midst of the churches. My presence is still there. My presence is still available. Even with Laodicea, even though Jesus is outside of the hearts of the Laodicean Christians by knocking on the door and saying, let me in, he's still beside us at least walking in the midst of the churches. Even though we've done a lot in many cases to try to grieve him away. He's still laboring for us. He's still striving for us. We're the apple of his eye. He says, how can I give thee up? 
I've still got you in my right hand, and I'm still in the midst of the candlesticks. And then notice in verses 2 and 3, he mentions six or seven strong, positive qualities about this church. A church that was first, a church that was desirable, a, a church that was on fire, but then its love began to wane. Before dealing with the issue, Jesus tactfully affirmed them in some strengths. You know, I wonder if we would do well to do that when we have to deal with difficult people and address tough issues with them. If we should begin by affirming their strengths, if they have any, and then dealing with the issue. I think we'd find a lot better conflict resolution if we did that and had that approach. But notice that Jesus says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. You see, this church was a laboring church that exhibited much patience in tribulation. And, and Jesus said he saw those works. And then he said, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. You see, they, they dealt faithfully with unfaithful teachers. They removed them and did not allow them to deceive and mislead people. They dealt faithfully with false doctrine when it came into the church back then. And notice in verse 3, And they have borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You see, this was a persevering church. They worked hard for God. They did not faint necessarily. But notice, down there in verses 4 and 5, He gives them the issue. He speaks to them about their spiritual challenge. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You see, they were still functioning in a capacity to assist the work of God. But their hearts and the faith in their hearts had grown cold. It had waned. That love and passion. And I'm not talking about an emotional passion. I'm talking about a deep conviction type of passion. An enthusiasm and a motivation for the gospel had waned and had nearly come to a standstill. And that was the issue that Jesus was dealing with. And he said, look, remember in verse 5, from, Therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. He said, look. Remember from where you fell and come back and find me where you last left me. Where your faith last grew dim, I'm waiting right there for you to come back and reconnect with me. And I would submit that that's a daily experience, friends. My wife and I went to Tampa to a convocation. I think it was in 2001 or 2002, and we didn't have children yet, and we had met my mom down there because I was doing an evangelistic series in Clearwater, Florida. And they had this big Tampa convocation on Sabbath. And, and, and my wife and I were sitting in the audience with my mom. It was me and my wife was to my left. And on the other side of my wife was my mother. And, and my wife wasn't feeling well that day. She had a stomach ache. And as the sermon began, I'm one of those kind of guys where when someone starts preaching, I want to be focused. I don't want to be interrupted. I want my Bible open. I want to be masticating what they're saying, weighing it out, learning, looking at the scriptures, ingesting what the man of God has been called to preach to the people of God. I don't like distractions. Well, in the middle of my intense concentration, where I'm learning an important truth, my wife taps me on the shoulder and she says, Honey, my stomach hurts. And this irritation. You with me, husbands? I mean, pray for us, wives. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. 
this irritation came up in me and because I, and I, I, my will was crossed and I did not want to be inconvenienced or interrupted with this ridiculous stomach ache. And so I looked at my wife and I said, and husbands, learn from the wisdom I'm about to share with you. I said to my wife, are you sure it's not in your mind? Are you sure it's not all in your mind? And my wife looked at me and she gave me a look like, I cannot believe that you would say that to me. And she didn't say it. But, you know, when you get to know your spouse, you know, you can look in their eyes and you can, it's almost like there's, you can read each other's minds in a sense. You know what I mean? You know what the other person's thinking, right? And, 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 I, and I thought to myself, and, and the spirit stung me in the mind. It's like, whoa, you're way out of bounds on that one. But I was so irritated. And God called me to apologize, to say, and not to say, honey, I apologize. No, he wanted me to say, honey, I'm sorry. Because you know my wife, and I've learned this about ladies, women are built differently than men. My wife, yes, that's a revelation, brother, I'm with you. No, no, but my wife, I've learned, is a very sensitive I mean, she's not sensitive in a, in, a, in a negative sense. She doesn't get her feelings hurt too easily, but she is very sensitive to how I respond to her as her husband. And my wife just wanted to know that I was with her and would sympathize with her. And I think women have a right to receive that from their husbands. Wouldn't you agree? Right? Not too many amens from the husband. But you know what? I refused to humble myself and apologize, and I looked over, and, and my wife just said, so Mrs. Swearing, you know, she just wouldn't even look at me and she just started talking to my mom and it was almost like, I'm not giving you the time of day right now because you just iced me. And so I went up in the intermission and I was walking out in the hall and I was praying to the Lord and, and meanwhile this great controversy is going in my heart. You've got to go and apologize and say you're sorry. Well, Lord, doesn't she realize that when sermons are being preached, I'm intense? Can't she figure it out? And the Lord told me, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The Spirit began to bring those texts into my mind and say, Look, you are Christ to the church of your wife. And you must learn to treat your wife with self-sacrificing love, putting her needs and her desires and her... Um, you know, comments and different things before your own. Your dignity. It's a good input. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, we need to treat our spouses like that. And you see, God was calling when Armageddon was raging in the soul. God was calling me to surrender and go back to my wife. Remember from whence thou art fallen. And go back and do the first work. Because you've, you know, these you ought to have done, but you've, not, you've left the other undone. You've got to go do what's been left undone. And if you want us to continue together, you must go back where I'm waiting, which is right beside your wife, where you need to go and humble yourself. So you need to repent and do the first works. And so I went back there. And my wife, you know, what do you want? Kind of a look, you know. And I said, I said honey, I need to talk to you. I was very insensitive in my comment. I'm, I'm really sorry for that. I, I just... I don't, I don't know what got into me. I was just irritated and I had no right to be irritated. I should have been there for you. Uh, you know, I can always get the CD. 
And the message, if I really want it, I'm sorry I wasn't there for you when you needed me to sympathize with you. Could you ever forgive me for what I did? And you know, and, and, and I was sincere, friends. I mean, I really was sincere. And I could see the walls of Jericho just collapse in her mind. And it was almost like, oh, how can I stay mad at you? And she just said, well, I appreciate that. I just wanted to know that you were with me. I just wanted to know that you were with me. If you would have just said, I'm sorry, honey, I'm sorry your stomach hurts, I would have just let it go and you could have been right back on the speaker and get your blessing. But see, friends, that's an example of what it means when sometimes we leave our first love. Now, yeah, we may have left our first love in a a long-term sense by leaving Jesus and pretty soon we find ourselves so far from Jesus as far as the trend of our lives. But I think a lot of times in the little decisions in life where we're still professed consecrated Christians, we leave Jesus in little ways like that. And Jesus wants us to be sensitive to those things. And so maybe today, God is speaking to you about maybe a situation where you need to repent and do the first works and go back to where you left Jesus and make some things right. Because friends, if we start on that course, those little choices turn into big ones and pretty soon, over the course of an extended period of time, we're far from Jesus when Jesus wants us to be right there with him. And in Ephesus' case, they, their love waned. And Jesus called them back. And he told them, in verse 5, Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Get back to where you've left me, or else I'm going to come and remove that candlestick. But then it's interesting in verse 6, Jesus ends on a positive note. Notice in, in verses 2 and 3, he began on a positive note before he dealt with the issue, and then he dealt with the issue, and then he ends on a positive note to affirm his church. You hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And, and we could get into a whole diatribe on what the Nicolaitans are, but let me, sum, let me just sum it up. They're basically, they consisted of a Gnostic sect of Christianity back then that believed basically all you got to do is believe. Keeping God's law doesn't matter. All I got to do is intellectually believe and I can do anything I want and still be saved. That's basically the gist of what this movement believed. And Jesus told them, you have dealt faithfully with that belief system. And friends, we, in God's denominated body today, have to deal with that, that, that doctrine that threatens our borders as well. We're not saved by keeping the law, but if we surrender to Christ, the Spirit of God writes the law into our hearts and minds, and we live out God's law, the principles of God's law, because Christ is living within us. And so that's how the gospel works. A go- the gospel is about the complete restoration of the character of God in man. And God's character is defined by his law. And when we surrender to Christ, he writes that law into our hearts and we live out the principles of the throne of the God of heaven because we are in a saving experience with Jesus. That's the proper relationship. But he commended this church for dealing faithfully with that heresy in that day. And God is calling us to be faithful in dealing with that type of theology as well. But notice also he encourages them in verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In other words, listen to the voice of the Spirit. Prick your conscience and speak to your mind and call you back to duty. To get that first love back. And then he promises a reward to the overcomer. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So he promises the reward to the overcomer. You will have access to the tree of life one day if you are an overcomer. By the power of the Spirit of God. 
You know, friends, I think there's many reasons why people lose their first love. And I'll mention just a couple. I, I'm not, this is not an exhaustive list or anything, but, but I think there's a lot of reasons why people lose their first love. A traumatic experience in life can sometimes derail someone's faith in God and that traumatic experience can kind of help their faith to wane. That might be one situation that could cause someone to lose their first love. Also, little compromises with sin over time can whittle away that first love. Also, little or no devotional practices can also take away from our first love can cause us to lose our first love. I've also run into people being a pastor and, and, and being, you know, I'm not Mr. Experience, but I've had some experience in pastoring. I have come across people that when they deal with, with unchristlike professed Christians in the church, they let that get to them to the point where they actually, it actually paralyzes their love for Christ. That might be a situation where someone might lose their first love. And maybe there are some in here today that fall into some of those categories. But I do know that Jesus is calling us to get our first love back, if we have lost it. So I'm in that bathroom in front of that mirror. And that thought is in my mind, you have left your first love. Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. And, and one of the things I asked God was, God, what do I need to do to get that back? And, and the Lord began to reveal to me, look, you feel called into evangelism and in your devotional time, you spent time writing evangelistic sermons instead of spending time in the Word, drawing from the Word as a sinner in need of a Savior. There may be times in your closet where I will allow you to write evangelistic sermons in your devotional time, but that in its essence is not what you need right now. You can write sermons later on during the day, but what you need is to draw nourishment from the Word as a sinner who needs a Savior. Another thing God told me was that my prayer life was suffering. I felt that all I needed to do was study the Bible and so God began to tell me, look, you need to get on your knees and you need to pray like never before that I would fill your heart with the fullness of God. Another thing God taught me was, was that my lifestyle practices were horrific at best. I would starve myself all day, go preach an evangelistic sermon and then come home at night and stuff myself. And I'm talking not just a, a healthy meal, I'm talking I would gorge myself. And cloud my mind, and then I would wake up in the morning. Oh, mercy, I don't feel like getting up and studying today because I'm, you know, I'm just all lethargic from what I did. I trashed my body the night before. And God began to tell me, look, you need to be temperate, and you need to be balanced. Don't kill your body with a late meal like that, consistently at least. And so, so those are some of the things that God began to show me. And did you know I started to practice some of those things? And that fire began to, began to come back. The first love, the flame was relit. And the power behind the desk began to come back. And I began to understand that God wanted me to have that love for him like I had had in the beginning. But I had to go back to where Jesus was waiting for me. I was preaching my second evangelistic series. 
Actually, I think it was later on than that. I don't think it was my second one. It was later than that. But be that as it may, I was still living at home and and my sister had moved back in with us. I was living with my parents to get back onto my feet because I had gone through some problems. And it, it was the night of an evangelistic series. And see, when my sister moved back home, she brought her two small sons with her and she was working. And so we as her family members had babysitting responsibilities. You know, we had different schedules during the day where for a couple hours, you know, different family members would watch the boys. Well, my particular shift on this day was 2 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And my mother was supposed to be home from work at 4 o'clock to relieve me so I could get ready for my evangelistic meeting that night. And that meeting was about 30 to 45 minutes away as far as a drive was concerned. And so you, you can understand the sensitivity in time. I had to make sure there was a proper buffer there so I could get ready and drive there and be ready to go. So I did what every good man would do. I put the boys down for a nap during my shift. And I worked on my sermon for that night. 2.30, 3 o'clock. And this is a true story, friend. I'm, t- I'm being... This is, this is straight truth, Ray. I promise you this happened to me. I'm not exaggerating or embellishing this story at all. 2.30, 3 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30, quarter to five. The stress is getting unbelievable. And I'm thinking, Mom, where are you? I gotta go. And then five o'clock comes around. 5.15, and I'm thinking, man, i got to get out of here. Where is she? When she comes home, I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. How dare she make me late for an evangelistic series where I'm going to preach the gospel, right? And you know what? I had this incredible idea. I have child care at the meetings. I'll take them with me, and then I'll deal with her later, right? And then this thought came into my mind. You know what's going to happen. You're going to get the boys all loaded up in the car. You're going to start the ignition. And guess who's going to pull up? And that's what happened. I loaded them in the car, literally, started the car up, and then my mom's truck pulls up. So I shut the car off. I'm in the flesh. I get out, and, and, and I know that God, I mean, the angels must have been, no, no, don't do that, don't do that. And I wanted to go and chastise my mom for it. And, 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 and it was almost like, look, just take the kids out and go to the meeting. Don't say anything. And I tried to stuff it down because I was in the flesh. And did you know I just couldn't resist? And I said, thanks for making me late. And I, I just capped off at some comment. Thanks for making me late. I really appreciate that, really sarcastically. And my mom was just like, whoa. And so I drove off to the meeting that night. And guess what the topic was? I was preaching on heaven that night. And, and you know, what was interesting is God kept telling me, Mark, you know, you left me back there. And I got up and I knelt, you know, God bless the message tonight. You know, I, and, and see, this is what true Christianity is all about, friends. You might think this is fanatical, but this is, this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is really where the battle against self ensues. And so... I'm preaching on heaven that night, you know, thundering the truth, you know. And in the back of my mind, there's an unresolved issue. I didn't have that freedom like I normally would have. And I made a decision in my mind while I'm preaching, okay, Lord, I promise you I'll deal with this when I get home. I will, I will apologize. I will say I'm sorry. And so when the meeting was over, I drove home and I, 
And my mother was still up, and she was reading, and she was laying in bed reading. So I went into her bedroom, and I said, Mom, can I talk to you? And she said, sure, what, what's going on? And I said, you know, I'd really like to say I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you earlier. I was a little stressed out because the time was getting short, and I'm really sorry. And she said, well, I'd like to apologize to you because my glasses broke today, and I had to go to the vision center to get my glasses. I really needed them, and there was a long line, and some things happened that caused me to be late, and I should have called you. I promise you, I didn't do it on purpose, but I'm really sorry for putting that in jeopardy. And I thought, man, how could I be so selfish to speak to my mom like that? But you know, Jesus was waiting there, and when there was reconciliation, there was restoration. And I think, with all my heart, friends, that that's the level we need to take Christianity to. You know, sure, I don't... I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that we're in and out of salvation every second. I mean, God does look at the trend of the life, but, but he wants us to have a trend of victory, a series of uninterrupted victories. And I believe that when we, when we stray by making a mistake, he gives us a space to repent. And if we, and if we repent in that window, then we're, we're, we remain in Christ. But if we then resist, then we get onto, into a gray area where we start to take ourselves outside of Christ. And then we become in jeopardy and we become in danger, basically, of, of losing our relationship with God. And so we need to be very careful in our Christian walk that, that we're looking at the moment-by-moment choices, friends, because I really believe that that's where the battle's fought. Because that's what develops character, is the consistent choice. And I've learned, and, I'm, and believe me, I'm not there yet. I still make mistakes. Um, you know, marriage has been a full-length mirror for me. I've really learned a lot about myself with my, with my wife and my children. But God has helped me to understand the gospel through my relationship with them. And you know, Jesus wants to have an unbroken relationship with us. He wants us to surrender unreservedly. He doesn't want us to lose that first love. He wants us to keep that first love. And the only way we're going to do it is if we stay surrendered and, and when we are tempted to deviate or even do deviate that we make sure that we make that right with Him. So where are you today? Have you lost your first love? Have you left Jesus somewhere and He's waiting for you and He's calling you back saying, my son, my daughter, uh, come back to me. Let's get together again. Remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the first works. Will you go back to Jesus? Will you make the decision you need to make to get your first love back? As we conclude this week, I hope and pray that you will make that decision. Because that first love will set us free. Not free to live any way we want, but it will set us free from sin and from guilt and help us to allow Jesus to live in us so that people will see what we have and want it. People will see that we have something special and there will be drawing power so that something will awaken within them to want what we have. That love has to burn and shine. How many want to say with me this afternoon, I want to have that first love. 
I want to have that first love. God bless you. Let's conclude with a special season of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for striving with us. Thank you for being patient and merciful and long-suffering. Lord, many of us have gone through the experience of losing you as our first love. I pray that you would help us, if we have, to get that back. Help us to realize that we must search you out where we last left you. So help us, Lord, to begin the process of reconciling the deviations that we have had in our lives. Show us where you are, Jesus. Convict us of what we need to surrender and repent of. Restore us into your image, Lord, and bless us with our first love back. Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this week. And I pray that as a result of what you've been able to do this week, your people have sensed the call to a higher consecration and commitment to you. And I pray that a revival has been kindled. Thank you for reviving me this week, Lord. And I pray that others have had that experience. Lord, as we leave this place now, I do want to ask that you would help us to walk in this experience that you would not allow Satan to pull the seed of your word that's been planted in our minds, but that that seed would fall on good soil and that it would grow and sprout and and bear fruit, that the new wine you've given us will be poured into new wineskins, that as we decrease, you will increase. Bless us to this experience, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.